you have your Bibles, grab them and make your way to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. What Lee just read, page 560 in the Bibles around you if you don't have one with you. <clears throat> to be frank, um, I've had a very um, hard time preparing this message this week. Not slept well. Um, I've been preoccupied with, uh, with this all week long and um, other things that are going on. Um, and I've had a hard time trying to figure out what to say because I know that, let me back up, not had a hard time trying to prepare what to say because what I'm going to try to say is what the Bible says, and I fear God more than I fear people, so I'm going to preach the word in season, out of season regardless. But I have had a hard time preparing what to say, understanding that emotions are on overload. Not just here, but like everywhere. Our own overload. And I know for many of us, we, we, we kind of, not all of us, but many of us have probably kind of already settled some things in our mind and we've made decisions about things and we've dug our heels in and we've put up walls. And what I want to ask you to do this morning is to drop them. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of God, to just be open, to just consider, to maybe try to look at things a different way. And I would tell anyone and everyone, from whatever angle they may be coming from, to do that. Try to consider things from a different perspective than maybe your natural inclination pushes you towards. Wherever you're at. And so this morning's text, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36, is not something I picked especially for today. Not like, oh, all these things are coming along, let's, let's do this. No, no, no. Sermons are planned out at Providence months in advance. And so this particular text has been slated for July the 10th for months. So I kind of find it striking in a goosebump-inducing sense. Just clearly in God's providence, for us, this covenant membership, this covenant family, that God wants to talk to us today. He wants us to hear these words. To hear these words. To, to love our enemies. I need to be clear about something from the get-go. As Christians, we really shouldn't view anyone as an enemy. And so, in, in, in feeling so struck by the fact that we're in a text talking about loving our enemies, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon of saying, alright, you, you've got Black Lives Matter and you've got Blue Lives Matter I'm not talking about organizations, just using those terms here. So I'm not saying you've got these, these two sides and that they should view each other as enemies. All right? that, that's not the case. It is not the case. But boy, a lot of people are acting like it is. Right? Because you support one thing means you cannot therefore support this thing as well. Turn it into an either or. And as a Christian, that is hogwash. 
It is not an either or. That's what Satan wants to divide and destroy. It is not an either or. It's a both and. The reality is that black lives matter. Blue lives matter. White lives matter. Hispanic lives matter. Asian lives matter. LGBT lives matter. Any other describer you want to put on there matters because human life matters because God made it in His image. All of it, equally so. Equally so. From the unborn, to the orphan, to widows, elderly, persons of disability, sex slaves, trafficked people, those that are destitute, impoverished, starving, suffering from dirty water, illegal immigrants, those of different races, religions, sexualities, those that we would even disagree with, their lifestyle choices, every single human life is sacred because every single human life has been made in the image of God and we should mourn when a life is snuffed out prematurely. And so, this idea of, of, of the sanctity of life encompassing so much more than just abortion is why every January, for years now, you can go pull it up on, on, on our sermon or on a podcast, we almost always take the time to link the MLK weekend, which historically has been about trying a, a call to end the evil of racism, we link that with the Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is also in January, and has historically been a call to end the evil of abortion. Okay, we, we link those two things together on purpose, not because they're close on the calendar, but because they're close to the heart of God, and biblically they're tied at the hip. But as we point out very often, what we find out in the church at large as we regard those two things is that very often we see them or the church views them as diametrically opposed. So what you find a lot of time is that the people who are passionate about combating racism are not very often the people that are passionate about combating abortion. And the people who are passionate about combating abortion a lot of times are not the same people who are passionate about combating racism. But as believers, as Christians, we must be passionate about both. And what I'm seeing today is a similar principle play out where people who are passionate about combating stereotype-based mistrust and violence against people of color are not the same people who are passionate about combating stereotype-based mistrust and violence against police officers. And often, people who are um, passionate about combating stereotype-based mistrust and violence against police officers are not the same people that are passionate about combating 
stereotype-based mistrust and violence against people of color. But as believers, as Christians, we must be passionate about both because God is passionate about both because they're both God issues because, again, they're both sanctity of life issues equally sanctity of life issues. Equally. And not just sanctity of life issues, but their sanctification issues as well. Because as much as I will hammer away and have for years now on racial reconciliation, racial reconciliation is not the end goal. Christ-likeness is. And racial reconciliation is a part of being like Christ. Woman at the well. I mean, just read the gospel. Read the whole Bible. The ultimate goal is to be like Christ. And being transformed continually into the image of Christ means renewing our mind, checking ourselves, checking our, um, our, 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 our proclivities to things that maybe we haven't even considered before and just thinking through them. It means we have to change To become like Christ. It means we have to put to death everything that isn't Christ. To have our thoughts transformed to Christ's thoughts. As a Christian, we are to live out all the implications of the gospel. All of them. And again, one of these is Racial reconciliation. It is an implication of the gospel. It's not a second. It is. It is. Like the gospel speaks to a thousand different topics. And this is one of them. So what the gospel is, is it's, it's good news. What it means. And what does good news do? It invades bad news. And so it invades bad spaces. And it sheds light where there's darkness. Where there's not light. It's what the gospel does. And invades brokenness and reconciles. One of the biggest places that is needed in our culture and in our nation today is as it relates to race. Invade brokenness and bring reconciliation. Now for sure, progress has been made. I don't want to act like there hasn't. I'm thankful for that. And I get angry when race mongers go on TV and pump things up for the benefit of their own pockets. I get angry at that, but there is progress that has been made. We want to celebrate that. But we don't want to be like a serial adulterer who's like, I used to have affairs every single weekend, but now it's just maybe once a decade. We don't want to be like that. We don't do that. So, so progress has been made, but, but um, our standard is not to look at our progress and say, I'm not as bad as I once was. I'm not as bad as we, we aren't as bad as we once were. We're a whole lot better. Praise God for that. But our standard is not our progress. Our standard is Christ. And compared to that, like our standard's not 
what we used to do is who we're supposed to be in Christ. And compared to that, we've got a long way to go. I heard someone say one time, political correctness may have taken the words out of our mouth, but it's not taken the thoughts out of our hearts. Jim Crow may be dead, but his zombie still roams freely. And we know this because the moment that I mention the, the names, Alton Sterling, Solando Castile, almost everyone in here and in our country makes a split-second judgment about all those things. A judgment where, by and large, we're talking apples and oranges. We've talked about this before. Because what happens is the media drives up. Like you cannot trust any news channel. You get that, right? You cannot trust any website. You get that, right? They're all liars. Okay? You cannot trust them. What they want to do is they want to get advertising dollars so they drive up that which generates um, publicity and drives people to websites and they know their markets and they cater to those markets and so what the media is largely doing is they are trying to portray this thing completely as a cops versus racial reconciliation type of deal and that's not what it is at all Cops, police officers are civil servants for our good. And they do an incredibly hard job. They put their lives on the line every single day. I mean, do you know that most felony arrests, cops, you can correct, and police officers, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, most felony arrests are made during a simple traffic violation. And so imagine you are a policeman, you pull someone over, and as you approach that car, you do not know what might be on the other side of that door. You don't know if it's going to be someone like me who's about to wet his pants. Or something else. You, you have no idea, and so there are nerves and there's fear and there's got to be courage and you've got to be on guard like as you I mean it is an incredibly difficult job and that's just a small little sampling a tip of the iceberg um, understanding there and yet folks like Dallas and Keith and Lee McCollum and Brandon's about to and a lot of folks who have retired from that or have moved on from that to a different they do that every single day and we need to thank them Okay? We need to pray for them. Especially right now. Especially right now when there are some people who are assuming the worst about all police officers based on the actions of a few. And so they need our prayers. They deserve our prayers. But ultimately, all of this stuff, as I've already talked about, isn't really about picking a side. 
Because as Christians, there's one side, and that's Jesus' side, and Jesus is concerned about all of this. And so it's not about two sides, but it is about there are two very different ways of viewing everything connected to these cases. This is the apples and oranges. Like Russell Moore pointed out, polls tell us that white Americans tend in public polling to view situations like Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Freddie Gray, uh, Eric Garner. Polls tell us that white Americans tend to view these situations as though they exist in isolation, dealing only with the known facts of the case at hand, whether there is evidence of murder in this particular case or not. And so just we're, white Americans, by and large, just give me the facts, give me the facts, let me see what it is. Did this happen or did this happen? If A happened, then this. If B happened, then this. Okay? On the other hand, black Americans, polls show us, this is the apple and oranges, tend to view these crises through a wider lens of not just this one particular case, but of whether African-American males are too often profiled in America. Whatever the particulars of an individual case, whatever those particulars are, the divergence of these viewpoints should at least cause us to think, to consider. Now, to be clear, broader issues should not dictate the outcomes of particular cases. The question of law is what happened in this particular case. Okay, that's the rule of law. So broader issues do not dictate, like, you got what happened? Figure it out. Find out the details. And then judge accordingly. But just as broader issues shouldn't dictate the outcome of particular cases, Neither should they, therefore, just be, like, outside of those cases, just left unaddressed, pushed down, ignored. I mean, if we can't hear the cries of 44 million people and know that there is something, something, something that's amiss, we can't hear the cries of 44 million people and at least ask questions. And there's something wrong with us. Because we've been called to love our neighbors, how? As ourselves. We've been called to love like our Lord and Savior Jesus with grace, which means unmerited and truth. And that brings us to our text today where Jesus tells us to love even our enemies. And as I was reading this, it just kind of it was like, good grief. If this is how we're to love our enemies, then how much more are we to treat those who aren't our enemies but maybe just a little misunderstood? Maybe we don't understand very well. If this is how we're to treat our enemies for crying out loud. This is at least bare minimum for how we treat 
everywhere. I read an article this morning, in fact, that noted, and I thought it summed it up well, that officers, as well as people of color, are both having and describing the same experiences right now. They both feel misunderstood, vulnerable, targeted, and afraid. And so, like, I've already said it, but we, even as we should absolutely not view others as enemies based upon the color of a uniform or the color of someone's skin or, or even how they react to these tragedies this week, well, you only posted on this thing. Well, you only posted on this thing. Even as we absolutely should not view others as enemies based upon those things, this text is screaming at us that even if to our shame we sinfully do, we're still called to love. Like that, this sin needs to be dealt with. Conversations need to be had. But even if you're in it, you're still called to love this way. To live this way. Like Jesus does not let anyone off the hook. Church, love them. Your family, love them. Your neighbors, love them. Enemies, love them. And so again, if this is how we are to treat even enemies then how much, I mean, bare minimum, this is how we should treat people who aren't enemies. But sometimes we act like we are. So what is that way? How, how is it that way that we're to treat them? Well, let's talk about it. Number one, live out the great commandment. Okay, number one, live out the great commandment. Commandment. Like as I looked at this text this week, I really think that it's built out of um, like this idea of loving our enemies is built out of the call to love our neighbors as ourselves. Like I don't think there's so much two commands, uh, love your neighbors and then second command to love our enemies as, as much as it is Jesus helping us understand that your neighbor includes your enemy. I think that's why in Luke 10, when he talks about the greatest commandment and they say, well, who then is my neighbor? He tells the story of the good Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews, enemies. So it's as if saying you love your neighbor and your neighbor, who is that? Oh, it also includes your enemy. And so I think that this call to love our enemies is intricately connected to the call to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is found in the great commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, it says this: that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And do you know what happens when you truly love God with everything? And love others like you love yourself. Do you know what happens when you do that? Racism vanishes. Did you see that we're all made in the image of God? We're all sinners bearing the wrath of God. We're just different looking sinners at the foot of the cross. When you view yourself made in the image of God. And sin, sinful before a holy God. That, it's all 
even playing field. This is what, like, if we would truly live out the great commandments, racism would end, at least in the church. This is sadly, John talks about it, most segregated day of the week. Most segregated day of the week. Church? God's people? Gathered around the throne, people of every nationality, tongue, language, skin color. That's heaven. But on earth, white, black, Korean, this. Lord help. This is what vertical love of God does. It drives horizontal love. So if there's no horizontal at all, you've got to wonder, is there any vertical? But if there's no vertical at all, there cannot be true horizontal in the sense of agape love, which is the word that Jesus is use, uses here. There's a lot of different words for love in the Greek language. Agape is the one that's like, it's not natural. It's not, you know, you, you, it's not feelings. It's not romantic. It's not friendship. It's not something that just develops. It's purposefully chosen. It's a choosing type of love where it's no matter what type of love. I am choosing. That's, what Jesus, that's the word Jesus uses here. A love that doesn't make sense. Look at it with me. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear. Now just mark that. Jesus is saying there's going to be some people who will not hear this. Because the Spirit isn't dwelling in you. But I say to you who hear. He always leads you to that. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That doesn't mean you don't call the cops if you're being abused. Doesn't mean you don't tell the church if you're being abused. But you do pray. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And you only have one of these things. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. What Jesus is calling us here to this agape love. All right. For, for even our enemies. That's, that's what he's saying. And who are our enemies? It's not people we hate. Because as Christians, we're not to like project hate on any. We're not to have hatred towards people, but we will receive it. And that's who he's laying out. It's all people who do. We aren't to ever go this way, but it is going to come this way. If you're going this way, you've got a problem and need to repent. But it's going to come this way. Let's look at it. He tells us to our enemies. But I say to you here, love your enemies. All right, so who are they? They're those, verse 28, who hate you. That's 27, verse 28, who curse you. 
who abuse you, who strike you, who rob from you, who manipulatively deceive you? And how are we to respond to that? We're to love. We're to love them. We're to love them and find our hope and satisfaction in Christ, not in the way people treat us. And in doing that, Jesus calls us to unnatural deeds. He calls us to unnatural words. And He calls us to unnatural prayer. Unnatural deeds. He calls us to do good to those who hate us. That's not natural. Natural, you do bad to me, I do bad to you. This is unnatural. Actually, it's supernatural. We have to have the supernatural spirit of God living in us to truly love in an agape style. That's why Jesus is the only hope for all of this being fixed. Unnatural words. Bless those who curse you. Like when someone cusses me, the only blessing I'm thinking about is blessing them out. But that's not what we're called to. That's not what we are. To, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Like if someone goes off on you, slanders you, maligns you, don't retaliate. You don't return evil for evil. Like your spouse is not your enemy. Sometimes we act that way. And we're like, well, you did this to me, so I did this to you. So it's justified because... No! We don't retaliate. They curse, we bless. That's unnatural. And then unnatural prayer. He says, pray for those who abuse you. Again, doesn't mean you don't call the cops. You don't tell the church. We pray for those. Unnatural prayer. And most of us in here probably aren't prayer warriors, if we're going to be honest. Maybe you get five minutes of prayer a day. Most of that's a rote incantation you memorize that you say before a meal and think God's happy about it. But, even, but when we do pray, we pray for people that we love. And that's the whole point Jesus is making here. To truly pray for someone in the presence of God who knows your heart, you have to desire something good for them. And as you pray for someone and begin to seek to enter their world and their understanding and you're pray, praying truly for God to bless them, that's, that's love. You cannot truly pray for someone if you do not love them. And so, as we're going through this this morning, let's not be regular church folks who hear these things and just kind of apply, don't apply them. We just put them out in this ethereal idea world. Or we think, man, that would have been good for Bob to hear. We don't bring it down to ourselves. Let's not do that. Do you have someone who hates you? Do you have someone who cusses you? Do you have someone who abuses you? Do you have someone who attacks you? Do you have someone who robs you? Take the initiative. Agape. This is active. It's a choosing. Do good. Do good. Take the initiative. Do good. 
this is not, we're not called to live out the great suggestion. It's the great commandment from your Lord, your King. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's number one. Number two is equally as seemingly simple, but unbelievably hard to actually do. And that's to live out the golden rule. To live out the golden rule. Look at verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. All right? Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Like how, I know this is simple, but how many problems of the world and in your life would be solved if you live like this? If we true, and, and notice the positive direction that Jesus gives on this. I think this is important. I think it, very, very important. This is not a negative thing where it's self-motivated. Like the self-motivated version of this would change it and, and put it in a negative context where it says, don't do certain things to people if you don't want them to do those things to you. But Jesus doesn't pitch it that way. He pitches it in a positive way that's not focused on your self-preservation and self-interest. He says, not negatively, but positively, treat others the way you want to be treated. There's a difference. You guys see the difference in that. There's a do as much good to them as you would want them to do to you. Not do as little bad to them as you'd want. See the difference? Do as much good to them as you want them to do to you. Live that way. I mean, we teach our kindergartners this. But if we would live that way, like, do you? Others the way you want to be treated. Because what we tend to do, and we're really seeing this play out right now, is we are a people that is addicted to our rights. Addicted to our rights and completely oblivious to our obligations. We live as if we owe nothing to anyone but everybody owes something to us. Because we're the center of the world. The world knows nothing of, of this type of, of, of love. And when we love this way, this makes the church stand out and point to Jesus. People take notice and treat others the way you want to be treated. This is what we need to do. Like I said in the, earlier, in the midst of this week, what has wound up happening is that both police officers and people of color are in a position where both are having the exact same experience, a feeling of misunderstanding, a feeling of increased vulnerability, uh, targeting, um, being fearful. 
And so with all of us, from every angle, he's not this way only, or this way only, but from every angle, there's a gazillion others, it's not, there's a, every angle, if all of us would try to enter into another's story. Try to see from someone else's viewpoint. To listen. To listen. More than we talk. To seek to understand and be open. We may not be, but be open to the possibility of being wrong on something. To walk in one another's shoes and understand where people are coming from. To treat people with dignity and respect and love like we want to be treated with dignity, respect, and love. And not jump to conclusions based upon the color of a uniform or the color of skin or any other thing. I mean, there are bad apples in any group that you could come up with. But don't base your feelings about whatever group you come up with based upon the actions of a few bad apples. That's called prejudice. Treat others. Every human being made in the image of God. The way you want to be treated. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. And I know by and large everybody's like, yeah, man, I get that, I get that, I get that. But you've got to do it moment by moment. You've got to do it moment by moment. Keep that in mind moment by moment as you're going about your Am I treating others the way I want to be treated? And the moment you recognize you've had a thought, you've got to take that captive to the obedience of Christ, repent of even the thought of it, and seek to treat someone the way you would want to be treated. And so we live out the great commandment. We're to live out the golden rule. And then thirdly, love others, even your enemies, like your father does. So look at verse 35. But love your enemies. The second time he said it, he's hammering this. But love your enemies and do good. Second time he said that. And lend. Second time he said that. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Anybody think I misread that? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful. Even as your father is merciful. And so what this is saying is that when we love our enemies and we do good to them and, le- and we lend not just our money, but, our, but our, we open up our homes and we open up our hearts and we open up our time and our talents and our and our and our love expecting nothing in return when we do that people can see the family resemblance with our father we're showing that we're sons of the most high like when you've been hated and despised and spoken ill of the natural response is to sin back. But this 
is different. This is a God-inspired kind of love. And when we love in the face of hate, it's love where, again, people take notice. And they're like, if there's a God, that guy knows him. Because that is not natural. That is not natural. I mean, this is part of the way that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I mean, part of that's just common grace, like, right? Everybody's got air to breathe. Um, you know, rain comes. Like, there's just common grace. Everybody can enjoy the natural things that God created, whether you're a believer or not. There's common grace. Right? We go, that's a long, long list. Common grace. But another particular way that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil is us. Or is to be us. You and me. The church. We are to be the visible presence of the kindness and mercy of God towards those who hate us. in order to authenticate the message of the gospel in the eyes and ears and hearts and minds of people. This is why we're to love those who hate us. Love those who think the worst about us. This is what Christians do because this is what God does. We love because He loves. And that's who He is, right? God is love. Everybody loves. First John, right? First John chapter 4. Everybody loves that. God is love and He is. It is His very character to show kindness and mercy to his enemies. How do I know this? Romans 5.10 says that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Look it up. Enemies, me, you, Christ died for us. And when you think about the crucifixion, I mean, just notice the similarity between verses 20, verse 27 through 30. Jesus was hated by Judas, the Pharisees, the people who were demanding his crucifixion. He was cursed by false witnesses, soldiers who mocked him, a Roman ruler who sentenced him to die an unjust death. Right, he suffered injustice. He was abused. So we got hatred. We've got cursing. He was abused by the priests. He was abused by when he was beaten and whipped and, and mocked. Flesh ripped off his back. Nails driven through his hands and his feet onto the cross. As he was spit upon, slapped, punched, right, struck in the face. As his cloak and his tunic was taken from him. And he was stripped of everything. They took everything. Including his dignity. He dies naked. And beaten. On a cross. For the world to see. The son of God. And what did he do in return? All power and authority is his. And what did he do? He loved them. He asked God to forgive them. He died to save them. He, he was doing good to those who hated him, suffering and dying, paying the penalty that they should be paying. 
He was blessing those who cursed him, offering salvation to the thief on the cross, and he was praying for those who abused him. And so it is at the cross that, that, that you and me must learn to love our enemies because we were the enemies of God that Jesus died to forgive. We were, and he loved us. And this command to us to, to love this way, these are not things we can keep and do in our own strength. They're unnatural. We have to stay glued to the cross and the love that God showed us there and live in light of that. It's how we'll live this out. Continually remaining the gospel. I was an enemy and God showed me grace. I was an enemy, and God showed me grace. How dare I not show grace to everyone, even if they consider me an enemy? I'm not to consider them, but they may consider me. We need to live in light of that fact and continually remind ourselves of this simple truth. What did you do to make God love you? What did you do? Actually, we did do something. We rebelled against him and spit in his face and threw him the bird. And yet he still went to the cross to rescue us. And when you get this and you meditate and you stay focused on that. That he still did that and that he loves you, not because you performed to some level, not because you. Um, lived up to something and, and never offended him and never belittled him. And I mean, because we did. That's like what we do. We're sinners, right? He loved us not because we pleased him, but he chose to love us despite all that. When you get that and you live in light of that, it frees you up to love others freely as you've been loved. You've got to stay focused on that. That's what Christians do. We're gripped by the gospel. We live gospel-centered lives, not me-centered lives. Not anything-centered lives. Gospel. Jesus. And when you do that, it causes others to take notice and say, if there is a God, that guy knows me. It's a witness to the world. And it's a blessing to our Father. And so again, this morning, I'm not trying to solve society's problems. That's a long, long conversation. Probably never be solved, but can continuously improve. When Jesus comes again, it'll all be right. And we look for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. And this morning, we're not trying to do that. But what we can do, what we can do, is whether it's our neighbor or our enemy, what the world needs to see now from the church is people who aggressively live out the great commandment. Love the Lord God with our heart, mind, soul, strength, and love our neighbor like we love ourselves. See the church aggressively live out the golden rule kindergarten level stuff. Treat others 
the way we want to be treated. And love like our Father. Unmerited. Undeserved. But love. That'll show the world a better way. That'll show the world the gospel way. That will show the world Jesus. He's the only one who can bring reconciliation out of this brokenness that's across the world and that's in the hearts of each one of us. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Not just in this instance. Yes, in this instance, but not just in this instance. But in all instances. To turn the microscope on our own hearts first before we turn it on someone else's. To see if there's a log in our eye that we can't see. Give us the courage to do that because would we we hate to learn that our thought of ourselves as virtuous people is an illusion and that we're more sinful than we could ever dare imagine. Sinful to the point that we're blind to even see it. Spirit, open our eyes, open our hearts. Give us, as we've sung before, clean hands and clean hearts. And forgive us. And help us. Help us to love this way. We can only do this through your power. Help us to love those who hate us and do good and bless. Pray. A lot of little things done by a lot of people over a long time will change big things. Help us to at least in our spheres be the change. Or rather, point people to the change. Because you are the change. In Christ's name. For his glory, our joy, and the good of mankind.